Our scripture reading this morning will be from the first chapter of the book of the Revelation to John. Verses 1 through 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Tiatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. So if you were here in the fall, you know that we did a whole series on the book of Revelation, and I wonder if as Kevin was reading, you were like, wow, is he that disappointed with the series? We're just going to start over, pick it up again? Or perhaps you were like, I got enough of the Revelation in the fall. If you were visiting with us or not with us, uh, we spent a lot of energy and time on the Revelation, so if it's a book you would like to explore, you can find that on our website, and I think we even have a YouTube page. Man, things just get beyond me. Um... This is actually a vision series, and I don't know if you've heard pastors do vision series. Um, They're challenging to me internally. What I like to do is take a book of the Bible and help us all look at the promises of God and how they apply to our lives and give us comfort and peace and strength and walk through that. But while there are a number of things about churches and about the gospel that are true and foundational, always the ways of doing it we at least need to be thoughtful towards how do we, gatherers here this Sunday morning, do the work of God and the mission of God in our place. And so I want to invite you into uh, my brain for just a moment, which might be troubling to some of you and comforting to others, and how I think about vision. Um, you got to turn it on or it doesn't work. Right, Steve? There we go. So, in 2014, I became pastor of the barn in January, and then that, that September, I preached a series on why gather, because in the New Testament, um, the churches would gather, and that's what they called themselves, was a gathering of Christ followers. They had no thoughts to buildings, because uh, they were meeting in homes, and assumed Jesus was going to come back soon, and it was illegal uh, in, in various proportion to call Jesus Lord, and so they called themselves gatherings of, of followers of Christ, and... Um, we explored what does it mean to gather? What things need to always be true about a church that, or about, uh, what needs to always be true about our Sunday mornings and about the life of our church? In 2015, I preached a series on being Presbyterian because it's clearly the best way to run a church, right? (laughs) In all seriousness, uh, this is a Presbyterian church, which means we have elders and deacons and trustees and members of the church, and we're invited to make much of God together, learn to do community together, and be a faithful presence. In 2016, we talked about the law of God and how important that is, and the law is not a savior, and and oftentimes the law can be contrasted with the grace of Jesus, but in fact, the law, rightly understood, guides us in the with God life. Then we did a series on 1 Corinthians 13. What does it mean to be a church of love? Though often read at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, the definition by description of love is for churches to learn how to do spiritual family together in light of the love of God and the grace of Jesus. And there are things that are always true. We must always pray. And the revelation displays the immense power of prayer. I don't know how familiar you are with the book, but you cannot read it without noticing and being gripped by the immense power in the spiritual realm that we cannot see of the prayers of those that are followers of God. The gospel will always 
be a part of what we do. It must be. For if it is true, everything is different. The gospel that God loves us, that's where it starts, by the way. The gospel doesn't start with sin. Sin is very important. If you never talk about it, then I'm not sure you're biblically thoughtful. But it starts with God's pursuing, steadfast love. Then it comes into the work of Christ by which followers of, of him are reconciled to God through his work. The Bible is how we learn about these things. And it's local. One of the reasons that I didn't come into this church with a vision is I've never lived in New England. And I love it, by the way. It is a challenging place for a lot of reasons, but I love the differences between the Midwest and the West and the South, the other places that I'm familiar with prior to moving here. And I'm sure that soon I'll be confident it's far, far better. For now, I really like living here. But our vision needs to be thoughtful towards us as a local gathering. And this is where I may be unique, uh, not inspiring, but perhaps will last because we must be constantly aware of our limits. I'm gonna ask you through this sermon series to participate with what we're doing, to participate with the corporate worship of the body of Christ, to participate with our community, to participate with our efforts, efforts of being faithfully present in the area, and I'm going to say, go home. And, when, and, and don't be here all the time. It's crucial for both our lasting and for our humanity that we understand our limits. The fourth commandment, before we get to any one anothering commandments, is the commandment to learn to rest and to cease and to eat well one day in seven. And so this is where we place our mission and vision is on top of these things. This is how I conceptualize vision. And I don't know how compelling that is to you, but I wanted to invite you just for a few minutes into my brain. Isn't that a great little graphic? I thought it was fun. And so we're going to talk about the first part, which is worship. And I think that when I say worship, you hear singing. And that's part of it. But for a Christian, worship is every move that we make because of our allegiance to Jesus. Corporate worship, what we do together is essential, and I'm gonna talk about that about 50% of the time and, and general worship 50% of the time. But every time a follower of Jesus follows him with their words as an example, avoiding gossip, that's a movement of worship. Every time a follower of Jesus, instead of making sure that their 403B is intact, which is important, it is important to have savings and to think about that, but instead of boosting that, we're generous towards some organization, that's an act of worship. Every time that with our words we build up another human when we're tempted to just go home because we're tired or to say something mean or to say nothing, that's an act of worship. And yet, corporate worship is important. Instituted one day out of seven, one of the biggest proofs of the truth of the gospel of Jesus is that 2,000 years ago, a very large people group in part, totally changed the way they worshiped. They had been worshiping Friday night and Saturday morning, and a significant number of them changed to Sunday because they believed this carpenter who had taught about the kingdom life for three years actually rose from the dead and that that changed everything. And if that's true, then this gathering, not the building, this gathering is a kingdom outpost. What Jesus called a city on a hill 
what he described individually as salt and light to the world. And if Jesus continues to delay his return until next Sunday or beyond, we need you. We being this gathering, we need you to participate with your gifts within your limits, with the things that you care about in helping us be as pure and robust of a gathering of Christians as we can be. Our moves of worship, our moves of individual prayer and corporate prayer, our moves of individual worship and corporate worship are incredibly powerful. You know, the the bad teachers of the Revelation would distract us from a number of things, and one of them is you can't read the book without noticing how much singing there is. And I don't know how much you like singing, but if you look at the Revelation and, and other books of the Bible, Paul repeatedly talks about the importance of singing songs and psalms, and, or spirit songs, ah, psalms and spiritual songs and hymns. So whichever one you prefer, twice he kind of pushes back and says, these songs are important and the Revelation would show us their power. Your voice, singing about the, the promises of God, actually has power in the supernatural realm. One of the tensions of being a follower of Jesus is that um, we believe he is actually king. And yet it doesn't feel like it, does it? Abraham Kuyper, phenomenally interesting intellectual and political uh, human of the early 20th century said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. And yet, it doesn't feel that way to us. So what do we do with this truth, because that's true, and then the reality that as we go about our lives, it doesn't seem true. Well, we, we worship. And your moves of worship, both corporately here, and individually in your lives are subversive. And I know that a lot of people take this word and they utilize it for their own purposes. Here's what I'm getting at. The world does not honor or appreciate allegiance to the true king, Jesus. I'm gonna even speculate that you have a voice in your head, and that voice leads you to shame or to anger or to fear. And when you choose to lean into the promises of God and even combat or ignore or disagree straightforwardly with that voice, that's the gospel and your individual and corporate worship pushing back on that voice. And let's be honest, we are tempted to worship so many other things. I tried to list them in the, the confession that we utilize together. We, we worship... Um, Ourself. And what I mean by that is we choose our way for happiness. And it feel, sometimes feels like an act of defiance, doesn't it? When we choose the things that we know are not best for us. We often worship our kids, not so much their happiness, but their success. We long for them to have more than us, which has a nobility to it and yet is so outside of our control. And yet we notice in our energy that we're tempted to worship their happiness. If they're happy, then I'll be okay. This morning at 8.07, I was shaving and I thought, I should really check my stocks. You know, like my 403B, my retirement. None of you struggle with this? 
and I didn't do it, partly because it's in my notes that we worship financial security, partly because I'm a professional Christian, come on, you're getting ready for service. And partly because I know intellectually, but I have to grapple with it, I know spiritually, theologically, biblically, and intellectually that if I look at them, it will not speak peace to my heart, and yet, don't we kind of, and my laptop was out of batteries, that helped a little bit too, but... Uh, The fact that it was in my notes was the most significant reason I think in the moment I didn't check it. But don't we go to these things and ask them to speak peace to our hearts? And yet here's God in his sovereign mercy setting aside one day in seven for our rest, for our corporate worship, for our remembrancing of his promises. Corporate worship is... uh, Biblically, a mandatory team sport where we remember who we are and whose we are. That voice in your head will call you a name. And there's a spectrum of harshness of the voices perhaps that we hear and yet they don't know the whole story like God does. God calls you a beloved son or daughter of the true king. And so we come here to, remind, to remember that amongst friends. The old school way of, of talking about this was that the, the world and our own flesh and the evil one are out there. And I just tweaked the language a little bit because I don't like repeating things and I don't like alliteration. You've probably noticed this. But the world is under a curse. Ever since Adam and Eve stopped trusting that God knew what was best for them, The world has been cursed. Our Christmas hymns actually represent this well, far as the curse is found. You also have a false self, and that false self is not the deepest thing about you. That's one of the sweetest things about the gospel is that when we receive Jesus by faith, we are given a new heart. Ezekiel and Jeremiah describe this as a heart of stone being taken away and a heart of flesh being given, but the false self will still speak to you and attempt to define who you are and it's a liar. And so we come to corporate worship to be reminded who we really are and whose we really are. And though in Jesus' work on the cross he defeated the adversary, Satan, Satan has not been shackled. And so we come on Sundays And then we're strengthened for our worship on Mondays and Tuesdays to remember who we are and whose we are. And I want to to hopefully remind you, perhaps encourage you for the first time, you have a role in this with the others in the room. God calls us to do this together because we are to remember to one another his promises and who he says that we are. You are a remembrancer for others in this room. Hard word to say, right? I read a book called Preaching as Reminding and he used it a lot, so I'm perhaps familiar with it. One of the roles when you wander in here on a Sunday, whether it's your first or thousandth Sunday here, simply by your presence, but perhaps also by your words, is to remind those around you of the good things of God. It is an important role. Our moves are subversive to the cursed world, to our false self, and to the adversary because of the curse. The largest umbrella I know of, umbrella phrase I know of to describe the curse and to describe sin is this. 
not the way it's supposed to be. It's a book by, uh, oh, now I can't remember if it's Alvin or Cornelius Plantinga. They're brothers. One of them's a philosopher. One's a theologian. One of them. The author's last name is Plantinga. And he says, not the way it's supposed to be. And the reason I repeat that to you is because the world is attempting to doubly lie to us. In one sense, it'll say, no, the world is how it's supposed to be. And you can avoid suffering. The world is how it's supposed to be and you can flourish, especially if you'll buy this thing or look this way. The world is how it's supposed to be and you just need a little bit more diversion in your life and then you'll be fine and happy. And yet we know that the world is not how it's supposed to be because there is death and disease and relationships are fragmented What are we going to do about that? Where do we go? In Mark chapter 8, after teaching um, some very challenging things, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I'm paraphrasing, you guys sticking around? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. In John's gospel and in the revelation and his letters to the churches he describes jesus as the light of the world and yet there's a lot of darkness and so we come here for that light and i want to encourage you in a couple of really mundane but tactical ways for many of us it's challenging to get here regularly and i want you to think strategically about that how many Sundays a month are you going to try and get here? And here's why I say it. I have learned, I've been working for churches forever, so I have to be here, right? Um, but I'm watching a number of families before the challenges that come along with, with little kids and sickness and things like that, but also with sports. They're tactical about it and strategic about it. And I'm so impressed by that. I would encourage you to decide before Sunday morning and you, you decide how you feel how tactical, or uh, decide how often you're going to be here. And what I want to say is, how could you miss, like, can you imagine describing to an early Christian who could be killed for showing up to worship? You know, sometimes when the weather's really good or really bad, I don't go to church, which is fascinating to me. It's like if it's medium, we're all willing. It's just what I've heard in the 20 or so years that I've been going to church. But sometimes when it's like perfect outside, we don't go. And sometimes when it's horrific, and I get that, be safe, okay? Don't anybody fall in their driveway, right? It's New England. But I want to encourage you to be tactical because the world will attempt to convince you that everything's fine, but you know things are not how they're supposed to be, which means you know you need to be amongst these remembrancers being reminded of the promises of God. My hope in this um, series is that a few more of us get involved not in all of the um, things that we do as a church that, that transcend Sunday, but in Sunday. We have a lot of teams that participate in making this a place that makes much of the gospel of Jesus, that learns to do community well. And I think you have a role. Not all of you, some of you need to rest. You have served for a long time very faithfully. But if you're participating here as a follower of Christ, you have a role. We could, we could strip it down. We could have like five or eight 
you know, expert people do all of the jobs. I think it's better if we have larger teams participating in corporate worship because this gathering is not, is not supposed to reflect me or Bill or Kevin. It's supposed to reflect all of us. And I hope that you get involved because you're a remembrancer of the good news of Jesus. You're one who is called, I don't know what way, I don't know if it's with our children's ministry, though it might be. I don't know if it's to do some of the roles up here leading us in prayer and worship. I don't know if it's musical or tech or ushering or first impressions. You know, ushering might seem to you like not an enormously important part of the service. These are the first people that someone meets who's either exploring the things of God or looking for a place to do spiritual family. It's essential. So my hope in preaching this is not only that we understand our vision and they understand the importance, the transcendent, supernatural importance of worship, but also that everyone get involved. Because of Jesus, who has given us the tools to be a formed people. The reason that we praise is because Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer that way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. Praising. The reason we confess is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The reason we ask for help is give us everything we need, daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. That's the evil that we can see. Deliver us from evil, the evil that we cannot see. And we're making all of those moves and then opening the word together and receiving the sacrament is because we desire to be a formed people, don't we? We long to be formed after the image of God. Why? Because that's flourishing. To learn the steps of the with God life. What what Paul described to Titus as training grace. Grace that forms us as worshipers and as neighbors. We long to be a formed people. And the reason is the quintessential question for humans, I think for everyone, religious or not, Christian or not, is this. What do I do with the immense power given to me and the utter lack of control I have in my life? Isn't that kind of the human condition? And for those of you that don't have any power, if you stood up and went, "Ah," and walked out of the room, you would have just exerted your power over however many of us there are in the room, 163. I don't know how many people are in the room, I was just guessing. That might sound like a weird example, but you have power, did you know that? Your words have power. Your money has power. It goes where you, I know it doesn't feel like it, but it goes where you tell it to go. Your hands have power. Your silence has power. And that's why we come to church longing to be a formed people that we might use our power for good, for love, for light. And I know you don't feel powerful because you have almost no control over anything around you. That's why I think it's the quintessential conundrum for humans. I almost called this series, Why Give? Why would I give my voice to God in song? Which if the revelation is true, your voice in song has immense power. Yes, even your voice. That shouldn't have a microphone if you're singing like mine. Why would you give any money? Because if the world fragments then the gospel can heal 
and we long for this to be a place of healing. Why would you give all of your worship as an act of resistance against the death and the darkness that are still present though their power has been removed by the power of the gospel? The difference between humans and all other living creatures is we have a choice of what to worship. We do not have a choice about worship. We either worship ourselves or the Lord. C.S. Lewis described it as there are two types of humans in the world, those who say to the Lord, your will be done, and those the Lord says to them, your will be done. And so we have an option, both on Sunday mornings and throughout our weeks, and it is to worship the Lamb or ourselves, which means the adversary. And I want to encourage you, I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you already actually know most of what I said, even though remembrancer might be a new word for you. Not that you didn't understand it, just a word you didn't use as often as you're about to. And in that way, I hope that you're encouraged to know that your song and prayer and words and financial gifts, which Paul calls acts of grace, are moves of light against the forces of darkness in this world. And they're moves of flourishing for ourselves and they're moves of health and purity for this gathering. I hope that that encourages you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we long to understand what you teach us that that's your promises and your word and our worship and prayers are powerful moves of light in a world that often seems quite dark. They are powerful, subversive moves of love in a world that does not value it. Holy Spirit, would you form us as your worshipers for the life of the world? Amen.